Um, but today we're finishing up in First Peter, and I don't know about you, but it's been very tough for me. Um, it's been a tough series. Um, it's honestly a really tough letter, and as as we've gone through this, I think I'm going to read it every year. Like, just stand alone, just make a point of reading First Peter, because it really, it fixes our perspective, and that's what we need more than anything, right? We need a constant fixing of our perspective, because uh, just like what Warner just talked about, right, we get inundated, we get distracted um, by this world and by all the things in it, and, and uh, Peter does a good job of going, hey, let, let's just step back real quick. Let's look at this. And, and so what we're going to read this morning are his final words, right? So he's, remember, he's writing this letter to um, the churches, right? The, the scattered believers, the followers of Christ that uh, are in that area. And so he writes this letter, and he's encouraging them throughout. And in chapter 5, he's going to make his concluding remarks. And he's going to, there's, there's really like two things to this. Um, that he's going to kind of wrap up. First, he's going to direct his attention towards the leadership in the churches. And then he's going to explain why it matters, why we have suffering, why we're going through all this stuff. And he's going to say it's because Satan is our adversary. That's just the reality. And this is exactly what Peter's going to point to, and he's going to say, so leaders, be on your game. All of you, church, be ready, be prepared, because this suffering is not chaos. God is using it, and Satan is using it. And we're going to talk at the end about just how that dynamic works together. And if there's one element of all of this that, that always percolates in our minds, it's, but why? But why do we have to go through this? Why suffering? How can a loving God allow this? How does that work? And so that's how we're going to finish this whole thing. So with that being said, kids, I'm going to try to make it entertaining <laughs> for you guys. Uh, <laughs> don't fall asleep on me, okay? I'm just joking. That's all right if you do. Um, so the kindergarten through fifth, fifth graders are in here. So, um, you know, please give them an extra amount of grace. Please give their parents an extra amount of grace as they're uh, trying to juggle that and pay attention and listen and uh, luckily, we, we uh, put it on YouTube, and you guys can always go back and listen to it again. But, um, but it, it's a family, and we know everybody in here, and so uh, don't, don't worry about it. It's all good. And, um, but first, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for giving us your word, for speaking to us through your word, for preserving it for us. Um, this letter that Peter writes is not just a letter from Peter to people that lived thousands of years ago. It's a letter from you to us. Remind us of that, Father. Remind us that you have written these love letters to us to encourage us, to preserve us, to, to show us your love. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray that, that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning. I pray that if there's people here that are struggling understanding your whys, that you would just pour your Holy Spirit upon them. Open their eyes, open their ears, help them to see, help us all to see 
your love and your grace in the midst of our chaotic lives. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so where's Peter been? So we started off, okay, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he says that in the midst of suffering, right, so here's the, the Christians of the day were, were going through suffering, and I don't want to really create a lot of contrast uh, or similarities and say, well, their suffering was like ours or not like ours. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't, because look around this room for a second. Everybody, seriously, look around the room. Everybody in here has suffered, is suffering, or will suffer in some respect, whether that's health or, or finances or job or marriages or kids or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. There is going to be suffering. And so what Peter does is he says, yeah, but for us, for those who are chosen followers of Christ, we have a living hope. We have a hope in, in the future, and, and the hope is because the cross is empty, right? The hope is that God has already intervened in our world. God has already come and bridged the gap and reconciled us. And so it's not just a, an empty hope or a hope in the future that, that may or may not happen. It's a hope that God is already in the process of delivering, a hope that he's already secured. And then what does he say? And then Peter, in chapter 2, Gene preached on that we are living stones, right? That, that you and I, that all of us are honed and shaped and put and built into, you guys remember what it was? What, what, are, we, what are we built into? Anybody? Anybody recall? <laughs> all right. Into, the te- into a temple, the house of God. And so when the world sees God, what are they looking at? They're looking at us. They're looking at, at us, or, or us little pieces of this temple because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, right? And so how we live matters. And so then, what does he do? He says, man, but there's blessings in the midst of all of this suffering. There's blessings, and, and you ought to bless others, and you ought to submit to those who are harming you or are persecuting you, who are against you. Why? Because it matters. Because how you respond matters because we are representatives of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, right? And so when this world sees us and sees how we react in this inexplicable way, by showing love and mercy and patience and all of these things, when we, do, we should show the exact opposite, to the world's standards, the world goes, what is this? Why is this different? And so it matters how we respond. And last week we saw that Peter says that we're going to be blessed in the midst of this. Right? Those who mourn are blessed, is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so he walks us through each of these pieces that, that we actually can understand our suffering, not in just some, we're not just changing our mental way that we're dealing or thinking about it, but that we actually are putting on the humility of Christ as we are attributing our lives to the sovereignty of God and saying, if it's God's will, then it's my will. And I don't want it. Just like Jesus in Gethsemane is like, I don't, I don't want to go through the suffering, but I know I should, and I, and I know it's good for me, and everything that it happens to me is going to be for my good and his glory. And so this is where Peter has built this whole thing up, and then in chapter 5, 
he's going to explain why all of this is happening. What's the reason for it? So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And, and Peter starts off with this plead. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That word exhort, it means beg, plead. He's, he's going to the elders, the, the leaders in these churches, right? So he's been writing this to everybody, and now, right now, he focuses on the leaders, and he goes, I'm pleading with you leading with you. And he's going to go on and we're going to break out what this is. But this matters. Peter goes, everything else we've been talking about, but this really matters right now. Leaders, listen to me. Elders, listen to what I am about to say. Because here's what he says. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. It's important that he uses those words. He says, as a fellow elder. You guys remember how Peter introduced himself in, in 1 Peter 1? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's like top rope, right? Like nobody, none of us are going to be able to say, well, I walked with Christ. I saw Christ transfigured. Oh, well, I, I actually dwelt, right? Like, no, this is Peter. Peter gets to say this. Peter alone, well, and the other apostles get to say, I'm an apostle of Christ. And so that's how he starts the letter. So he goes, hey, from a position of authority, listen to me. And then he goes through chapters one through four, but what does he do in chapter five? He says, as a fellow elder, as a leader, fellow leader. Like, he goes, I'm setting aside my job. This isn't an authority thing. I'm pleading with you now as part of this flock. I'm just like you guys. Listen to me. Listen to what I am about to say. And look what he says in verse 2. He tells the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So as Peter writes this, most certainly he's going back to Jesus' call to him. Right? This, this, and, and for the kids in here, like this, this analogy is really good, okay? Because it's easy, right? There's a shepherd and there's sheep. And the sheep aren't very smart. <laughs> and that's us. And I know your parents, you think, are really smart. Certainly my kids do. Just, <laughs> I, got, I got an eye roll from back in the back. All right. Um, we're, we're all in need of a shepherd. And and Jesus says that he is the shepherd. And in fact, when he restores Peter, after Peter rejected him, after Peter rejected him three times, after Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? This is the Peter that Jesus then restores. And in John chapter 21, verse 15, it says that when they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. That word there, tend, is shepherd, pastor. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So when Peter's writing this letter to the leaders, he's going back to that, right? That Jesus told him, hey, go feed, tend, pastor the flock. There's a a delegation here. Peter isn't Jesus. Peter isn't the shepherd. Peter is an under-shepherd. And we're going to see that as we go through chapter 5 here. And so in the same way, Peter is now saying the same thing to these other leaders throughout the churches that are scattered. See, so this, this picture of a shepherd and the sheep is throughout the New Testament. And we know this, right? In John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. How about going back even further? about to probably one of the psalms that we probably all know and in the midst of suffering many go to psalm 23 david says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you guys want to go back and do some more research, go ahead and look up what that means, your rod and your staff. That's the good times and the bad times. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what the great shepherd does for us. This is why we point to Jesus as being our shepherd. And so this this metaphor, this idea of, of Jesus being our shepherd and us being sheep is throughout the New Testament, and we see this over and over again. So go back to 1 Peter 5, 2. Look what it says. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You guys, if there is something that I, I want to be crystal clear is that this two feet doesn't make me closer to God. And sadly, sadly, that's how it's so often perceived, isn't it? That because... I'm standing up here because Peter's directing his attention right now to the elders, to the leaders, that somehow they're different. He says, no, the flock that's among you, the ones that you've rejoiced with, the ones that you've suffered alongside, the ones that you eat with, the ones that you live life with, those people, that flock, the flock that you're in the midst of, lead them, shepherd them, pastor them. 
You see, there's no difference in who we are. We're all called to serve God in some capacity in our lives. We all are. We've read this over and over again in Ephesians, right? That we are here to equip the saints for ministry. The ministry, that's service. That's, that's what is God intending to do with you in your life? Why are you here? Not here. Why are you breathing? Because God has determined that you would see November 28th of 2021. He has determined that you were gonna wake up this morning. And he has determined that in some interaction that you may have already had today, or maybe that you're going to have, that there's a purpose behind it. You see, all of us are called to ministry. All of us are called to ministry. What that looks like varies. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, the flock that is among you and Paul says the same thing. If you go to Acts chapter 20, we read a very similar sentiment as he collects the Ephesian elders together and he declares to them in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. We are under shepherds. We are simply tasked with the responsibility to feed intend to pastor, to oversee. Why is Peter spending this time talking about this? Now, as we've culminated in, in all of this suffering, Peter is now saying, hey, leaders, I need you to know what your job is because this flock can easily be scattered. And in fact, in Peter's day, the flock was scattered. And yet, in those places, there were those who stood up, who God called to lead, and this is who Peter is addressing now. So we have chickens in our backyard. Um, sometimes they're in our backyard. Sometimes they're in our neighbor's yard. Um, so we just bought eight baby chickens, um, uh, I guess a couple months ago. And it, they're all chickens, <laughs> Okay. There's three that are like two years older than the rest, and then eight that are all the same. But they're all chickens. They're all the same. But there's a pecking order. I, I will tell you that there are so many expressions of chickenhood that, I, that we use that as you become an owner of chicken, you're like, oh, that's where that came from. So the pecking order, it's a real thing. Well, the three don't hang out with the eight. The three do their thing, and the three are always together, and the eight are always together. But here's what's crazy. Of these eight, they're all babies. They're all, uh, I think, four months old or something like that. They're all just kind of doing whatever they do, right? They just, they eat like a chicken, right? Um, so they're always just kind of foraging, constantly eating. Eat like a bird. That was the expression that I was supposed to say. Last week, I said uh, Uncle Eddie. I meant to say Cousin Eddie last week, so I don't know if anybody picked up on that. So my expressions aren't the greatest, so I apologize. Um, all right, back to this discussion. Um, and so, so these chickens, and so what will happen is one of them will get spooked for whatever reason and will freak out and make a lot of noise and fly to the, like the other side of the grass. All seven follow. 
it's delayed. I mean, it might be delayed like 30 seconds, but all of a sudden it's kind of like they're like, Bill? Bill? Maybe not Bill. I don't know. I got to, sorry, Bill. I don't know. I got to think about, I should have I prepped this a little bit better. Insert female name of not somebody in here. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden they're like looking around and they're like, let's go, right? There's no difference. They were just, they just got spooked. And so the rest of them followed, but there's some leadership in that. And honestly, us as sheep, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm getting spooked or anything, but, but there's, a, there's a leadership inside of the flock. We're not separate. We're not distinct. We're just called to lead. Now, the words that Peter uses here and the words, in fact, that Jesus used are very important. Feed and tend. In fact, if you look in 1 Peter, what does he say? He says, he uses the word elder, okay? And he says, that elder, these elders are to shepherd and oversee, exercising oversight. This is what we talk about often as pastors here. What is our responsibility? You'll hear us use the term interchangeably, elders and pastors. Why? Because we're called to oversee. And when we talk about overseeing stuff and making sure that they're staying within biblical parameters, that's where we use the term elder. And when we're talking about pastoring and caring and loving, that's when we're talking about pastoring, shepherding. So those are different, right? Because the sheep need food. They just fundamentally need food. There's no relationship required. There's no anything, right? And this is food, right? And so our responsibility is to feed, is to, is to read God's word, is to direct you to God's word. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but throughout your time, throughout your weeks, that you're pouring over God's word, that you're consuming it. That's the feeding part. But what of the pastoring? That's the love. That's the care. That's what's required in the midst of suffering. Shepherding. Pastoring care for them. There's a relationship here. And this is why he goes on in verse 4. He says, and when the chief, sorry, I, I backed up a little bit here. So he said in, in verse 2, he, what does he say? He says, how are they to do this? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is what we're called to. Why does Peter shift? He's not talking about ecclesiological structure here. He's not talking about how should churches be organized. That's not Peter's intent. He's saying they need to be pastored. They need to be shepherded. Protect them because they're vulnerable. You're all vulnerable. And look at what he says, how we are to be protected. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so Peter says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility, right? He's talking to the leaders first and he says, 
be humble. And then he says to everybody, clothe yourselves with humility. It seems like an odd placement for this petition for humility, doesn't it? I, honestly, this took me a little bit. I'm like, why, why does he shift? Is he shifting? What's, what's Peter's train of thought? What is God trying to communicate to us in here? And here's, here's where I think, and, and maybe this is more indicative of my own sinful nature, but what happens when somebody you know is suffering? Is there sometimes an element of pride, an element of judgment that says, well, you made that bed. You caused that suffering. Or maybe, maybe there's an element of our pride that says, well, you're just not handling that well. They're not handling their suffering well. You see, in the midst of suffering, it can often bring out the worst in us. It brings out a survival mechanism. I need to survive. If you're the one that's going through it, I need to survive. I need to protect myself. I need to turn inward. I need to protect, right? Push every, everybody away. I need to take care of this. And when I'm done taking care of this, well, now I can go back out. And he goes, no. No, that's not, that's not how that works. Because when you're doing this, when other people are doing that, what are we on the outsides then doing? We're not, we're not walking with them with empathy and humility. We're often trying to put ourselves in the same shoes, going, man, I wouldn't have reacted that way. If they would just do this and this and this, it's, it's not a problem. I don't even know why they call this suffering. <laughs> oh, you laughed, but we've all done it. I mean, suffering, really? I'll tell you about suffering. Haven't we? And then I start off this whole thing saying, let's not compare ourselves to the church in Peter's day. We may not like that comparison much. Let's not go to the ends of the earth, right? Let's just try to stay in St. John's County a little bit, shall we? You see, what comes up in us in the midst of suffering is often pride. And what makes our suffering so difficult is our pride. Because we're going, oh, I want to control this. I want to control my world. And this is suffering. This is an input that's coming from outside in. And all I need to do is try to get myself out of this suffering. And once I do that, then all is good. No. No. Be humble. Have humility towards one another. What does he say in, uh, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count their suffering more significant than your suffering. Is that possible? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you not look not only to your own suffering, but to the suffering of others. You see, when we're constantly reeling and protecting ourselves from suffering in our own lives, we stop living lives of ministry. We stop living for our purpose and we just are trying to just solve the now. And you know what happens to everybody else in this room? 
deal with them later. (laughs) How do we do this? How do we do this? And he points to humility. And then look at what Peter says in verse 8. And here's, here's, the, here's the transition. Here's the why Peter is addressing this and why he's exhorting and why he's making such a big deal out of all of this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The same kinds of suffering. What, what Peter says here is that our suffering is being caused by the devil, by Satan, by our adversary, by the accuser. That's where our suffering is caused by. Now, it doesn't go outside of God's sovereign purview, right? And you can read the book of Job. What does God, is it Satan goes to God and he says, hey, I would love to cause Job to suffer, right? And so we have this chronicle. And so God is certainly permitting it because he's sovereign. But it's Satan that's doing it, that's causing you to suffer. It's this fallen world. And so this is what Peter is pointing to. He goes, do you understand that your suffering is not just caused by reckless decisions or a crazy life or poorly handled emotions? That's not why this suffering is happening. All of this, all these four chapters before, Peter's going, all of that, that's Satan that's trying to do this, that's causing us to suffer in this world. And he says, it's the same across the globe. All your brothers, they're experiencing the same kind of suffering. And so there's encouragement in that, isn't there? Where? (laughs) Where is there encouragement in knowing that? It means it's not a you problem. It's not entirely a you problem. It's partially a you problem. Right? You and me, like we have this sinful nature, but we have an adversary that's attacking us. That's what he says. He says, be watchful, be sober-minded, stay sober. Stay sober. Be careful. Because when you're not, when you're not thinking clearly, whatever's causing you to not think clearly, pick whatever it is, that's when he's going to attack. And what is, how does he describe him? Prowling around like a roaring lion. This isn't the snake that's biting the heel. It's a very different picture of the devil, isn't it? Peter says he's roaring. He's trying to scare us. He's trying to scare us with suffering because you know what? When I started this sermon series and we said, hey, we're going to talk about suffering, we all went, meh. (laughs) Can we go to the next kind of feel-good one? We don't like talking about suffering. We fear suffering, don't we? What's next? What's next on your plate? 
What's the next suffering hurdle that you're going to go through? Here's the beautiful part about all of this. And honestly, like this is, this is really important that we capture this. Is that in the midst of this suffering, we have an adversary. That means that, means that you and I, while we at times may cause each other to suffer, we're not the primary culprit of the suffering. It's Satan that's the primary culprit. So that means what? We have a common enemy. That's good for us. That's good. It means I got your back and you got mine. That means that we, this is why God created the church. This is why he calls the elders to shepherd. He's like, protect them. They're vulnerable. You're all vulnerable. You're, you're really vulnerable, especially if you're up here blabbing. I mean, this is what he says. And so what do we have? We have a benefit. We have, we have the numbers. We have two eyes apiece. Lots of years, lots of wisdom in this room. We have the ability to say, hey, you doing okay? How's that going? How can I be praying for you? How can I help? How can I, how can I point you back to our living hope in the midst of your suffering? Because honestly, that's really what we need most of the time, right? We need somebody pointing us back going, hey, no, no, no the cross is empty. God's already secured this. Not only that, what does he say? Like, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful because the, the contrast here is, is incredible because here is Satan roaring, prowling around, roaring, looking to devour somebody, and yet what do we know? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can pull us out of his hand. So what is there to fear? Look at verse 10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the promise. That's the blessing. You're going to be restored. That's what he says. You're going to be confirmed. You're going to, you're going to know that you've got a place in heaven, that, that you've been an adopted child of Christ, right? That you're an heir, that you have a place, that you have been reconciled to God. He's going to remind you of these things. He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to establish you firmly. That's the promise. But what does he say in verse 10? After you've suffered a little while. We talked about last week. What's a little while? <laughs> 80 or 90 years? It's a little while. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a dot. It's a dot on the timeline of eternity. Here, here's the most beautiful part of all of this, and, and one that we need to go back to. So here is Satan trying with all his might, creating suffering, trying to get us to fear, trying to get us to go arm ourselves with worldly weapons and not thinking like Christ, right? We've talked about that in the past, right? And that, that he, he's trying to get us to, to go and, and become distracted by the things in this world, to, to drown out 
the noise and the suffering, right? Like that's what Satan's trying to get us to do. He's trying to consume us. But he can't. <laughs> he can't do it. And, and, and everything that he does, God uses to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. Romans 8.28, right? We read that last week, that, that as he is biting and devouring and we're suffering and we're going through it, and it's horrible, God is refining us and purifying us and making us more like his son. <laughs> How frustrating do you think Satan is? Seriously, think about it. How fr- everything he does only serves to do the opposite of his objective. There is nothing he can do for those of us who trust in Christ. That's where Peter leaves this. He goes, listen, protect each other, guard each other, but don't forget the God of all grace is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's beautiful. And that's, and that's why we point to the cross, and that's why we trust in that. And then he says at the very end here, and he, he sends off these, these ending uh, kind of paragraph. He says, by, by Sylvanus or Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Grace does not always come in the form of pulling you out of your suffering. Let me just say that again. The grace of God does not mean that you are necessarily going to be pulled out of your suffering, but that you will have the same way of thinking that Christ did, and that you will be confirmed and restored and strengthened and established. That's the grace. He says, stand firm in it. Don't move. Don't move, hold still, stand firm. Don't, don't bat an eye, don't worry. Everybody's going through the suffering. It's just a little bit different for everybody. He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Lots of debate as to who that is. Babylon is Rome. We knew, we were pretty sure of that, but they really don't know who the she, that could be the church in Rome, that could be an actual person. Um, Some have contended it might have been Peter's wife, but she sends greetings, and so does Mark, his son, right? We talked about this at the very beginning. Here's Peter and Mark hanging out together. He says, greet one another with the kiss of love, and then look at the very last line. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's what he promises. Okay. In the midst of a season when we, we see the word peace written in so many places, Hobby Lobby and Michaels and it's everywhere, right? What's our peace? This is our peace. Share it. Because the world thinks they know peace and they don't know this peace. Because it's not peaceful when you're out of the suffering. It can be peaceful in the midst of suffering for those of us who follow Christ. Let me pray.